Hi everyone, today I'm going to talk about a subject that is extremely close to my heart and close to my life experience. And I heard someone say once that a big common thing with people who try to, I don't know, people who are healers or whatever, that they they might say, oh, I just I love helping healing people, I love to see them get better. But there's this huge underlying motivation. I'm not trying to say this in a bad way or anything, but that they were hurt by something in the past that they, and they really want to be safer in the world. So they're trying to heal lots of these things in the world that made them feel unsafe. And that's definitely sort of what's happening with me with this kind of topic, the topic of parallel perceptual realities. And what I mean when I say that, and I'll get into it, of course, in this video, is when, when because of lack of intimacy in relationships, and not intimacy, I mean intimacy in the, in the point of like closeness and feeling like two people are on the same page, um, and emotional safety and trust and all those things, that I've spent a huge amount of my life sort of feeling isolated in my own world that no one else can join. And I wanted to explain this experience a little bit in this video and hopefully explain why it's so important that people understand that this happens, how it happens, and how we can um, break down these parallel perceptual realities. So the video of teal swans that I'm going to use today to help me is called um, The Most Dangerous Perceptual, Parallel Perceptual Reality, and I'll put a link to it in the description. Someone. Now it's tempting to think that it's possible to live your life without intimacy, but it isn't. We come to know ourselves through reflection. What that means is the reactions we're getting from other people or even them mirroring the way we feel. Oh, you feel sad right now. Let's meet the reality that you're in right now. That lets us know who we are. So obviously, if there's an absence of that, we don't develop a sense of self. But here's the thing that is so dangerous about that. We start to perceive ourselves existing in a parallel reality, when what we don't get is intimacy. So in my particular case, especially in recent years, when I am, was definitely in that position of not having someone who's hearing or seeing or aware of what my experience of the world is, it completely, completely wrecks your that, that idea of reflection that she talked about. So when I could feel that that was something I needed, and I didn't have direct access to it in my environment. I did what I think a lot of people do, but maybe in a more extreme way of trying to reach out to people that I knew that that lived far away from me to try to get someone to see me, to get that reflection that you know you need. And in this world, it's so easy to ignore other people um, especially electronically, obviously everyone knows this. And if I would try to 
try harder, like multiple message people or try to ask them, could we talk on the phone? Could we video chat? Most of the time people blew that off completely when this is probably just with a complete lack of awareness that this is something that is causing me a lot of pain. And other people, even if that was the case, that they could be aware of that, they everyone would be prioritizing their own, their own life and their own routine and everything. But what started happening for me was just a worsening and worsening of the situation because it feels like the more you try, the more people withdraw rather than what would be a healthy human response, which would be realizing someone's in need of something, then you move towards it and you help someone um, feel understood. But I feel like it's our natural social response a lot now that the second you feel anxiety or pressure from someone, you withdraw instead of communicate. And a lot of times if you do communicate, there's still a high likelihood that there can be a real high sense of parallel perceptual realities over electronics because you're not actually able to sense anything about the emotions or state of being of the person that you're communicating with. And if, for example, if I'm getting a signal that people actually have no time to talk with me other than flippant electronic communication, um, it just leaves you more and more alone. And this may sound like a bit of a trivial thing, but but when you're already developing or have had for a lot of your life a very strong sense of parallel perceptual reality, it can make your experience really slowly but surely very sort of desperate because no one, it just seems like no one is ever going to meet you. Everyone is so far away. There's such a discrepancy between where they are in their reality and where you are in your reality that you start to believe that two different realities exist. Now this is happening at a very um, somatic level. It's happening at the deepest foundation of our being. It is not something that's happening rationally. So we just start to develop this concept that we are so deeply alone that it doesn't really matter who it is that we are in our environment with. What you'll notice when something like that happens for you is that time stops. It's like the impact happens and at that moment life can no longer be the same. You can't feel good, no matter how much you try. The things that held joy for you don't hold joy for you anymore. And meanwhile, in the rest of the world, people are moving on with their lives. You feel like life has ended and they come over and they say, Hey, let's go get a drink. Come on. You start to feel this vast difference between your own perceptual reality and theirs, and it is torment. I will never forget a time when I was at a public park. It was a few years ago, and there was a park bench, and sitting on that park bench was a girl, teenager. She had her arms completely cut up, I mean bandaged, and she was crying. And what I watched completely blew my mind. I watched joggers go past her, friends talking go past her, not one person noticed. It was as if this person might as well have been a ghost. She was existing in a parallel reality of her own, which was completely not shared by anyone who was around her. And it was at that moment that I thought to myself, if people can be in a different 
perceptual reality and not even notice something like this. The rest of us who aren't so demonstrative with our state have no hope at all. So I'm just going to get personal here because I feel like it's helpful to describe, but I've experienced all the way since I was a teenager so much time of feeling alone in absolute just agony that seems completely invisible to other people. Like it really doesn't matter if I'm sitting there like pretty much dying in terms of how I'm physically feeling. Um, It could, the rest of the world is just going on as it's going on. And no one seems to be able to breach that divide. And um, that obviously creates lots of psychological damage in lots of ways. Um, In my case, it created this chronic sense of needing to fix myself that since no one is able to join my world or make contact with me when I feel bad, then I have to fix myself so that I'm not stuck in this prison. And the whole starting place of that is feeling wrong and broken. So you're trying to fix yourself from perspective being wrong and broken, which I don't have to probably explain to anyone how much of a horrible loop, unsuccessful loop that creates. Like, A lot of people have addictions to different substances and things like that that um, originate from a sense of emptiness or stress in their being that they're trying to fill up. And in my particular case, the addiction is to, this is the psychological addiction of go to fix yourself because the, what's triggered is this sense of you're in prison. And you have to get out of prison because prison is so excruciating. And since the reason you're in prison is because you're inherently wrong, unreachable in some way, you have to uh, you have to change yourself and you have to fix yourself so that um, so that you're not wrong. And of course, there must be and there are many ways to change your psychological state in a in an empowered way but for me it looked a lot more like an addiction and the addiction is like a it's a addiction to self-hate it's an addiction um to try to escape this loss of self that you feel from not having a reflection from anyone so your body just sort of panics about itself And it was very disorienting to me in a huge amount of ways because for a lot of my life, because there's, I, there's this feeling of there's this me that feel that this version of me that feels confident and comfortable around other people and doesn't have this huge triggered sense of lack that knows what it likes, that knows its values, that knows how it wants to be treated and it knows not to be too defensive around other people or whatever and then there's this other part of me that's just gets absolutely terrified and 
and completely disoriented um, through this lack of intimacy. And slowly that um, part of me, that part that wasn't getting a reflection and felt truly invisible, like kept growing. And pretty soon what starts to happen is that reality, which is day-to-day life, you know, the Thanksgiving dinner, the going to school, it actually starts to feel fake. The reality that you are in where you're being abused feels much more real to you. It's actually activating more of your nervous system that is dedicated to fight or flight. So basically, you start to get sucked into this parallel perceptual reality where you're actually living a double life. So that when you're at Thanksgiving dinner, you can't actually be at Thanksgiving dinner. It feels false, it feels fake. It is a parallel perceptual reality. In one reality, your reality is torture and pain and danger. In the other, life is mundane, you go to school, you have Thanksgiving dinner, and when you're at Thanksgiving dinner, or when you're at school, or when you're doing these mundane things in this other parallel reality, you feel like you're just a thing in other people's worlds. It starts to feel like there's a pane of glass, and you can see out, but no one can see in. This is the real kind of parallel reality that we need to be concerned with in our lives here on Earth. This is the kind of parallel reality that makes it so people perceive themselves to be so alone and no hope that they commit suicide. And since I decided to go here in this video, I'll just make it explicit, as I have to most people that I know, I hope that I've never been suicidal and I'm not even slightly suicidal. I just have felt lots of the depths of the feelings that I understand are very similar to people that are suicidal. And my, I'm just, yeah, my pain has been very, very deep and extreme, but I'm definitely not suicidal at all. The foundation of parallel perceptual realities is emotional invalidation. Now, I cannot stress enough how important emotions are, not just for our own lives, but in our relationships. I can't stress how important it is to respond to emotions appropriately, this dynamic that creates parallel perceptual realities can happen in all kinds of homes, even loving ones, the ones that are not overtly abusive. So I want you to think about these parallel perceptual realities as existing in a kind of um, sliding scale. So let's say that you grew up in a, a good home, but just doesn't understand how to deal with emotions. You're going to develop a parallel perceptual reality, but it's, you know, a mild one. It's still causing you pain, but it's, you know, not super, super, super intolerable. All the way over to the other side, you have the people who commit suicide. They're living in such an incredibly painful parallel perceptual reality that there is no way in their reality that anybody will be able to join them. And all of us fall somewhere on this scale until we learn how to address people so that they don't create a parallel perceptual reality. To understand how emotional invalidation creates parallel realities, we have to go back to the beginning. I want you to imagine a little girl who's unhappy. She's in pain because her family had to move to a different town. She has no friends here, she's lonely. She's afraid of the harshness of the new place. She misses so many things about the old place. If she looks unhappy or acts unhappy, if her parents can't create intimacy, they will respond in one of two ways. They will disapprove of her emotions or they will dismiss or ignore her emotions. The parent who disapproves of the child's emotions is critical of their children's display of negative emotion and reprimand or punish for this expression. 
The parent who dismisses or ignores the child's emotions, disregards them as important, ignores the child's emotions, or even worse, trivializes their child's emotions. They may even interact with this child as if she's fine. This creates a parallel reality between the parents and the child. The child is now in a reality that hurts. In her reality, tragedy and loss has occurred. In her reality, her parents are not even there, even if they're in the room physically. In the parent's reality, on the other hand, they are meeting the child's needs and everything is good. The move was great because it provided new opportunities for better things. Because they can't actually see their daughter or feel her or understand her, they can't actually make any changes that would improve the way she feels. This little girl is isolated completely in her own parallel perceptual reality and her parents don't even notice. As life goes on, society may begin to mirror this split reality. She will perceive herself to be in one parallel reality when everyone else is in another. The torture of not only being in pain, but being in pain alone, or worse, watching people who are together and happy, is so painful that she might develop addictions. She'll do anything to escape that pain, and to be honest, the pain of the condition is worse than any drug or addiction she could ever choose. But because she's unconscious that she's experiencing a different perceptual reality, she just feels the torment and has no clue how to resolve it. She has no clue how to resolve it because resolving it would entail breaking down the separation between these parallel perceptual realities. She feels powerless to do that because she was powerless to do that with her parents. In that powerlessness, her option is to either escape from the pain through addiction or commit suicide. We are at risk of developing a parallel perceptual reality anytime that we don't have intimacy. Anytime someone doesn't see us, hear us, feel us, or try to understand us so as to join into one reality. Now let's go one step further. Mental illness is in fact primarily caused by these perceptual realities. If you break down each one of the mental illnesses that we have diagnosed today, at the heart of them is a parallel perceptual reality. I'll give you some examples. So a schizophrenic, for example, a paranoid schizophrenic, Let's just pretend that this person actually feels like they're living in a perceptual reality that people are following them. That's their reality. Now everyone else is acting like it's completely normal. How would you feel today if army men broke into your house and they were literally raiding the house out to get you and everyone else was going, what? I don't see anything. It's one of the most gaslighting experiences. And what we do as a huge mistake in the mental field, is that we try to convince them that their reality doesn't exist, instead of trying to join them and interact in some way with what their actual reality is, so that we can break down this veil between our reality and their reality. We have not managed to integrate people who are mentally ill because the rest of us judge their reality as false and invalid. If we judge them this way, we can never join them wherever they are so as to make any improvement. We can't find a way to integrate their reality with our own. Instead, we're just doing the same thing that parents do when they ignore, dismiss, and disapprove of their child's emotions. And the description of trauma that Tilson uses is that trauma is distress without repair. And that what creates strong relationships between people is the idea that there can be rupture, rupture in relationship, but that there's trust and repair. And that I can identify very closely with my internal experience, this complete, like there's almost like this just horrible frayed end at the end of 
my sense of relationship that at any moment it could just completely disappear and absolutely never get repair. And um, so I, recognizing this even if a little more subconsciously in myself, in relationships in my life where I felt that sense of of complete breaking and wanting repair, that I've gone and tried to get repair. And the more that I try for repair and fail again and again and again, it almost widens this gap, this sense of that there is no um, ability for repair, which creates um, no sense of security in relationship. And there's all sorts of stuff you can read, of course, about attachment theory with whatever. To me, I mostly think it can come down to this idea of um, the the perceptual difference is that I might be experiencing this huge sense of lack of stability or even existence of relationship with uh, with my friends or people I don't even know that well or um, whatever, like that I'm, I'm get this growing sense of complete rupture that I need to repair because I have so little faith in repair. And if the other person is not having that same experience, then that's the parallel perceptual reality. There's a need for this sense of repair on one side, whereas nothing is happening on the other side. So it's like you're chasing after people and friends to help give you this sense of repair that other people can't even really understand because they didn't feel the sense of rupture to the extreme that you did in the first place. So um, I feel like the only option is for people to recognize and hear that this is how you're experiencing something and that you're not, um, that it's, you're not just crazy or insensitive or something or needy for trying to create some repair. Um, that it's, that it's like a real part of your actual, um, life. It's like, it's your actual experience. And what I'm starting to realize is that because I never really had a sense of stability in the sense of that how I felt relative to my friends, like that I had, that that I would ever be able to say and express how I'm feeling and have them care if it makes me feel uncomfortable rather than just dismissing it. I'm not saying I have that anyone I ever called my friend was like a really insensitive person or whatever. It's just that I personally never had it as a norm for myself that um, my feelings mattered. I know that sounds really maybe dramatic, but that's really like the basis of it. And if you don't believe your feelings really matter, then you're like, I don't know, you've erased the whole foundation of what a naturally good relationship should actually feel like. So in a growing sense of disconnection, it just naturally, those things bring the completely like unnatural states of depression and anxiety, which just completely exacerbate that sense of 
now who the heck is going to want to interact with me if I'm in these states? I better fight extra hard with myself to change. Someone suffering from depression is in a parallel perceptual reality of hopelessness where life is pointless. Someone who has panic attacks is in a different perceptual reality, one of imminent doom. And they're looking at everybody else who in the moment that they're having a panic attack are in a reality where they're acting like everything's normal and fine. Okay, so I'm going to explain gaslighting for a minute because when we are in two different perceptual realities, it's a gaslighting experience. To gaslight somebody is to make them believe that their reality doesn't exist. So what you see, you don't see. What you hear, you don't hear. Your truth can't possibly be your truth. Now, this is this can get really scary. And along with all these um, <laughs> issues that I've been talking about so far, my sense of gaslighting happened to me from many different angles in my life. And a lot of it almost, I'm not saying self-imposed as in I did something wrong, but especially in my adult life, I really diverged from a lot of um, social norms in terms of how I saw the world, saw society, like what ambitions I had for myself. And the I had this horrible sense of that often the truer I was to myself, like in lots of my travels, it wasn't at all this sense of sort of like, I don't know where to go. I'm just not going to explore the world or I'm going to go find myself. To me, it was like this huge self-discovery in 2017. I had like an experience of feeling much more connected to my true self than I ever had before. And it gave me access to just like this very pure intuition of like, this is what I really want to do. This is what I really want to learn about. And I spent a lot of time in the last few years pursuing those things that felt really true to me. But as that happened also, I was going so far away from the people that I knew and the thought patterns and the concepts of so many people that I knew that it was like I was, my mind was in a different world than other people's minds. And yeah, that it created a lot of that feeling of what you see, you don't see, and what's happening for you couldn't possibly be true, no matter how much you try to explain or try to say, like, what your perspective is. It just um, is treated as unreal by other people. Now, when we have a parallel perceptual reality with somebody, we are setting up this type of gaslighting experience for each other, which is why it is so important to find a way to merge our realities so that we can basically find a place to meet in the middle, so we're not isolated in our own realities. So I think in a million ways, as I was sort of feeling like a victim of this, of these perceptual, parallel perceptual realities indirectly, I would be trying to indicate to people, like, please see my reality. I want you to see my reality so much. But I wasn't maybe able to be straightforward enough about saying or recognizing the double-sided nature it is setting up gaslighting for both people like i i also sort of abandoned the minds of the people that i used to know and it's not their fault or whatever that they <laughs> that we now have very different senses of of what's going on or what our perceptions 
And so it's sort of like a joint responsibility to recognize the need to combine our realities because I've already experienced the the consequence of not doing that. And it's terrible. It causes torture for all of us. Because eventually, when we're on the other side of a person who's in a parallel perceptual reality of pain, is that we lose them too. I'm gonna just give it to you straight. When you take a snapshot of human suffering, hell on earth, right? Suffering alone is the number one hell that you can experience. When we watch these images on our news channels of people who are suffering in earthquakes, people who are going through famine or disease, people who are starving to death even in Africa, I'm gonna have to break it to you. That is not the deepest form of human suffering. In fact, it doesn't even come close for one primary reason. Because everybody is in the same perceptual reality, suffering together. The people who are suffering the most are the ones who are suffering in their own perceptual reality alone. It's so it's taken a very long time to get here, I would say. But it is very much enough to have the sensation that a friend or a family member is saying, I want to, and actually has the true demeanor of, I want to see a reality. Because this isn't, when I'm talking about parallel perceptual realities, I'm not trying to put it in terms of delusion or... um even misperception, honestly, it's just the fact that we do have incredibly different senses of reality, just as a factor of how different our lives are and how different our values are and how different our life experiences are. But if you, I, I mean, you naturally go into this, this space of sort of sharing each other's realities when you go into a relationship with someone and create intimacy with them and want to know them. But the reason I'm doing this video primarily is about how important it is when we, rec when we recognize that parallel perceptual reality of pain. Because, let's see, how can I put this? Well, the first, the basic idea is that if you're someone's friend, you care that they're in, a, in this perceptual reality of pain and you can understand that being able to go into it with that person and help them not feel alone is incredibly important and human. But there are so many reasons why, especially these days when we're not very versed a lot of times in in true person-to-person -person closeness. I definitely know this is not just me. Um, there's all sorts of fear about taking on someone else's burden, about getting lost in their mess, about um, whatever you want to call it. And hang on, I really want to say this right, so just one second. The first thing I want to say is that in all these cases of sharing with different people, and especially sharing an experience with someone who's in a lot of pain, I think one of the most 
important things to realize is that you need to do absolutely nothing in terms of finding, I mean, unless it comes organically, of course, through organic love. Like, you don't need to cognitively understand what's happening to them or give them any solutions. They, when people talk about you have the solutions within yourself, you know, I 100% believe that's the way that life works. If someone is having a problem or even if that problem is as some difference or disagreement have, have, have with you there's no you to figure out what what the solution to this conf- difference in opinion or conflict of interest whatever you want to consider it is if you care about this person it's about being present with them and letting the emotion or the pain work itself out And I know I'm saying probably such a basic idea, but I just want to make it really clear that um, going into someone's pain doesn't have to be about getting attached to them in any way. In fact, I talked about it in one of the earlier mental health videos, the idea that the more secure and close we and like um safe our relationships are the more autonomous as people we actually become and if you see someone who has a lot of um qualities that seem that are needy or unconfident or fragmented a bunch of things like that it's actually not true that by engaging with that person you have that they want to latch on. People don't want to latch on to other people. I think it's not inherently what you want. When you get that latching on sensation from people, it's because they still don't feel seen. And if there was an ability for people to release some of that idea that, oh, I'm either, I'm incapable of seeing them, I don't want to see them because... There's something about them that's triggering something in me that makes me feel really insecure. You'd actually realize that like, there's only good things that can come from hearing other people. There really is. Another thing that we have to understand is that it is ignorant and incredibly cruel when we say in a derogatory way, misery likes company. We gotta literally cut this out of our vocabulary. Would you like to know why? Because unhappiness, misery, actually needs company. That's what it needs. It doesn't need somebody in a different parallel perceptual reality jumping in and saying, look at all the good in life. No. What suffering really needs is for somebody to join it. And from that space, where somebody is willing to actually join it, there will be an improvement in that vibration just by virtue of the fact that we are bringing the light of consciousness to that space. So I just wanted to reiterate, I think I might have touched on this idea in the authenticity video, but something that I feel like people don't understand clearly enough about joining people who are in any emotional space, but in a negative emotional space, is that they need to do something to fix that person if I could get rid of this, I would a hundred times over this whole idea because it, 
all someone needs is someone that joins them in their perceptual reality. Just because someone needs you to do that for them doesn't mean they need anything from you. It doesn't mean they need that they're upset about something about you. It doesn't mean... And often it doesn't mean what you think it means in terms of you looking in on them and why they're upset. Like what someone who's who needs someone to join them in their perceptual parallel perceptual reality needs is someone who's not just going to be present, but is going to, um, I mean, it's, it's just that natural state of human empathy. And it's very hard to reach that state. If you're looking in on someone with the perspective of them needing to be fixed, or just trying to get them out of their feeling. I think it's one of the most beautiful things about life that all of our emotions transform themselves without having to have cognitive understanding of them. And I'm starting to realize that that's the thing that I was missing all along. Like someone that I felt, or people that I felt like were fully going to join and care how I felt without um, it needing to be this battle where I was trying to explain what was happening to me and trying to fix it and trying to get them to understand. I just needed to feel safe enough to um, let out the emotion that's really happening with me and let someone else in on that. And God, has it been a battle because when you have these, as I've described, like these complexes that I've had, in my life, unbarring your emotions and um, letting them come out how they naturally would be in a moment is something so alien and scary that um, because you associate it with this lack of repair, that like this said, the if that pain starts coming out, it's going to be left. It's not going to be, there's no one that's going to be present until it's resolved. And ultimately, other people don't really care if you hurt. So what happened was I often was trying to create this merging of parallel realities with people that actually had no interest in merging their parallel realities with me or understanding of how to do that. And so the most important thing is that you're doing it with people that want to um, feel, have you care, that really care how you feel. And obviously the thing is, you can't make people care how you feel that don't actually care how you feel. But the truth is, there are a lot of people probably in your life and definitely in my life who do care how I feel. They just haven't known how to get through all the defenses that I've built up. Um, and if so, I, so when I felt like so confused about I know these people care about me but they can't break into my reality I tried to have people who had ignored me repeatedly or blatantly said that they don't care how I feel, how I feel try to get them to come in because I didn't feel like the people that were closer to me could do it because I thought of maybe just attached patterns and everything like that. But 
the thing is, I think now with my clear understanding, I have more of a chance to be able to communicate and release my emotions with people who I am closer to without this, the more, the less that I believe in this concept of I have to fix myself, the less I'm sort of projecting that other person them needing to fix me, like trying to get them to fix me. And there can be just more of an organic um, relating and bringing together of realities. I'm going to add something that's, it's not a caveat, but I think that it's important to mention just the idea that there are all sorts of reasons why we don't want to accommodate each other's realities or why other people don't want to accommodate your reality, that seeing your reality would disrupt something about their reality that they are wanting to hold on to. And you can see this playing out on a big scale um, all over the world. So I just wanted to make that clear that even with your family members or your friends or people that you know, there are so many reasons why they actually might not want to see what you see. And just to be aware of that, it's obviously not as easy as, oh, just let the person in and they'll they'll see exactly how you are and then organically you'll know what to do together. I mean, I think it 100% can be that that true and work like that um, in any particular time and instance. Like every two hum- two humans are capable of that, but there's all sorts of reasons why people don't actually want to see see you, and just by. I, I just I, there's lots of interesting, important questions to be asked around that concept and to be thought about in terms of why we don't want to see each other um, for real. And so I'm going to leave it at that. Connection is what people need in order to feel good and feel like their life is worth living in. All too often, people who are in pleasure cannot accommodate the reality of someone who is feeling pain. This is the real reason, actually, why any AA program or any support group works for anyone. It's because it's the only time that you actually perceive somebody joining your perceptual reality. It's the opposite of alone. Now, obviously, I've told you that alone, that feeling of isolation, is what causes addictions. So of course AA is working. It is in the developing of genuine connection that we can tear down the separation between these realities so that these realities can merge. One reality must begin to account for the other and vice versa. Denial is like the veil that serves as the divider between two realities. It is within our capacity to accommodate polarities that our consciousness will find true progression. Pain must accommodate the reality of pleasure and pleasure must accommodate the reality of pain. So thank you everyone who stayed on this journey of my Achilles heel with me. And I am happy to be talking about it because with Achilles heels, 
if you can solve them, your main point of weakness is gone, and it frees up a huge amount of things. So even if this isn't an Achilles heel of yours, whatever yours is, I hope this, maybe even the tone of this, could remind you of some of the feelings that you have with your own Achilles heel. And <laughs> not advertising, but I called my website for the podcast. It's not even a website. It's just like my expression, change what seems impossible to change. And so I think often things like our Achilles heel seem impossible to change. But one thing that Teal Swan says that's very simple is that healing, the, the definition of healing is to experience the opposite. So if I've experienced extreme sense of parallel perceptual reality and relationship the way to heal is to experience the opposite of people coming into my reality and joining it and that I'm not in some way condemned to this feeling of always trying to just grasp to hope that someone might um might be in my world and yeah, it's something that I just sort of intuitively know can change, even though it's my biggest fear that it can't. And that's all it is, really. It's a fear, because I know myself when I'm not feeling that same insecurity that all of this brings on. And that part of me is not not worried and thinks that that this, that this difficult thing can be solved and that all those ruptures that I had, I can feel that internal repair with. And my life will just be so, um, so much more alive. Like when I feel like the people that are, that are close thy family and things like that, that we really are living in the same world, that will be like relative heaven <laughs> for sure and it's a very real possible thing there is no possibility for two people to stay close and to stay connected when they are living in two different parallel perceptual realities and it is intimacy and our bravery to join people wherever they are that is going to bridge the gap between these two realities that make us so utterly alone have a good week that I want to say is just like everything in life it's almost never as simple as for example I choose to support this person I choose to um, bridge their parallel reality that is an important part of it but the whole ability to do this at high quality has to do with how strong and open your heart is and how in touch you are with your own sense of love. And so those things are really important to develop, to grow into the people that we need to be for each other. And... I'm going to end this episode with another video of Teal Swans. I'm not going to be making comments over it, but it's extremely fitting to what I've been talking about. 
And if you're interested in these kinds of topics, please watch my upcoming, or not watch, listen to the upcoming audio that I'm going to do about the emotional dark ages. So have a good day, have a good night, have a good afternoon, and bye. The video of Teal Swans that I'm going to play is called A Major Shift That Must Occur in the Mental Health Field. The way that we dealt with our suffering was to try to figure it all out. Most of us thought and felt things as a result of our own life experience that caused us to feel confusion and to doubt our own sanity, and so we needed to secure our own sanity, find out the truth, and get firmly grounded in reality. Knowing the what and the why helps us to feel grounded in that reality and in that sanity that we reached for like a buoy in the middle of a sea that was trying to drown us. And we try to rescue ourselves through others by helping everyone we come into contact with to find that buoy. We help people to come into that stable construct that we see as sanity and reality and truth. Even though some people in the mental health field will tell you that they got into this because of somebody else in their family who had issues, I can guarantee you that having somebody else in your family that had issues made you yourself feel confused and unstable, which is why you really had an interest in it. Trying to help everybody to find this buoy is a noble enough cause. The problem is, is that this very strategy which we use to help people can also be the very thing which does the most damage. And it can be the thing which prevents us from catalyzing genuine healing in somebody's life. When people come to us, we can very clearly see how what they're thinking, what they're saying, and what they're doing is out of alignment with the reality that we ourselves are seeing. Now, after putting years of study into it, we have arrived at what we think reality is. So, it's obvious to us, then, how what they're thinking, saying, and doing is out of alignment with objective reality, which we've already decided is our own. After all, our entire career is based off of having that truth and having that reality and knowing the answers. Therefore, we can easily see where the things that they are thinking, saying, and doing are out of alignment with what is right, true, and real. But this is where we go wrong. The way we try to help them is to get them, often in an oppositional way, to join our reality. I want you to imagine that all people live inside their own individual bubble. That bubble is their own subjective reality. And what people in the mental health field try to do is to get people to come out of their bubbles into our bubbles. The reason we want to do that is because it's obvious when being inside somebody's bubble, which is their subjective reality, is the thing that is causing them trauma and pain. But using this strategy, the attempt to get somebody into our bubble, is the very thing which makes healing impossible for us because of the following. One, we are unwilling to accept that our subjective reality is not necessarily the objective reality. What objective reality is, is the amalgamation of every subjective reality. So if you added every individual perspective into one thing so that they were all combined, and the truth that arose out of those combined subjective realities would be the objective perspective. We all know the danger of mistaking our subjective reality with what objective reality looks like. We've all seen those movies, movies like Powder or K-Pax or The Butterfly Effect or The Secret Garden or every movie featuring medieval medical practices where the person who is assisting someone's process towards health is so limited by what they've decided is real or true that they end up doing more damage. 
When you're watching these movies, you can clearly see how their subjective reality is limited as hell, and they don't actually have what's right and what's true. But they don't see that about themselves, do they? The sad truth is it never occurs to any one of us that we might be that person. We have to be able to stretch ourselves far enough to accommodate for the reality that we may not be the one who is currently in the right and who currently has our finger or a pulse on what reality actually is. Because none of us on this planet Earth, no matter who we are, can escape from the fact that we don't know what we don't know. Two, we don't really understand parallel perceptual realities. Most of us only experience a parallel perceptual reality or the awareness of it when we go through something like grief. When we lose a loved one or something else happens that causes us grief, we're sort of in this parallel reality, aren't we? Our life stops. Time seems to stop for us. We can't feel happy. Our perspective about life is completely changing. And when we interact with people who aren't part of that reality of ours suddenly, they're talking about their vacations. They're talking about how frustrated they are at their job. They're trying to get us to join them at the bar. And it's like we may as well be in two different realities, even though our bodies are occupying the same space. The worst part is they don't even notice because people don't often notice what conflicts with their own personal reality. When we talk or interact with somebody from inside our own bubble, our own perceptual reality, we may think we're doing and saying things that will help them when in fact we're just proving to them that we don't see them, we don't hear them, we don't feel them, we don't understand them at all, and they're completely alone. We are reinforcing that they have a different reality and that they are alone in it. What we do and say comes across as invalidation and ignorance, and we make the mistake of thinking it is good to invalidate someone's reality if it's causing them pain, but all this does is to solidify their reality, in fact. We fail to establish rapport enough to say or do something that will actually change their reality, or should I say, make it pliable enough to accommodate other realities than the one that is causing them pain. This is why we do so much damage to people who are mentally ill. When we approach them from inside our own bubble reality, what we're doing is making them feel more and more and more and more crazy and more and more and more and more alone until their condition, in fact, escalates. For example, let's say that you tell a paranoid schizophrenic that their reality isn't real. The people they think that are watching or following them aren't actually there and aren't actually following them. Do you think that actually causes this person to go, oh, maybe that's true. Nobody's following me. No. What happens is... Either they become completely distrustful of themselves, feel completely insane and then terrified of themselves, or suddenly you're in another parallel reality and you're not joining them in actual reality and now they can't trust you. You cannot get anywhere when you are fighting against someone's subjective reality. You have to work with someone's reality in order to create any pliability to the structure of that reality. People's perceptual realities function like oobleck. I know you guys have played with this probably when you were in elementary school. If you take oobleck and you resist it, the harder you resist it, the harder it gets. To understand more about parallel perceptual realities, watch my video titled The Most Dangerous Parallel Reality. Three, let's just be honest. Most of the people who are in the mental health field are so terrified of losing touch with their own subjective reality 
They are so terrified of seeing what other people see, feeling what they feel, hearing what they hear, coming to understand what they understand. They are terrified of disidentifying with whatever caused them to feel stable and getting into someone else's subjective perspective. Here's the thing, though. We love to come up with all kinds of justifications for this terror. Professional justifications, like if you validate the perspective of someone who's mentally ill, you will only make them more mentally ill. Or if you mentally and emotionally explore death with a person who's suicidal, it will cause them to commit suicide. Or if you let yourself get swept up in the person's mind and emotions, you'll lose your capacity to hold space professionally for that person. Psychologists and psychiatrists are literally taught to keep this professional distance, and in many cases, even legally threatened to do so. But what this does is it disallows them from exiting their own individual subjective perspective and taking on the perspective of the client that they are working with. It encourages them to keep this distance so that instead of seeing through the patient's eyes, like from first-person perspective, what they're encouraged to do is to witness like an observer who is fixing from the outside. I want you to imagine that somebody who's suffering mentally or emotionally is underwater. Now, if any of you have scuba dived or even watched programs on the planet, the underwater experience or world is quite different of a perspective than what's happening above water. Now, what the majority of people in the mental health field do is to stand on the dock above that water and yell down anything they think might help a person down there. Maybe throw down ropes sometimes. But do you see the problem or the limitation here? Because the world is so different under the water than it is above water, half the stuff we're saying to do doesn't even make any sense. Basically, when this is the approach you take, standing on the dock trying to help somebody out of the water, all you're doing is guessing at what will work for them. And let's just be honest, the shadow of the mental health field today is just that. It's guessing. I'll never forget a movie I watched once. It's called The Doctor, starring William Hurt. All you have to do to understand this limitation within the healing field is to watch this movie. He plays a self-centered doctor with a terrible bedside manner. He's always teasing and looking down on his colleague who is the opposite, until, that is, he himself gets sick. Being quite literally forced into the first-person perspective of his patients changes his entire strategy with regards to how he helps people from that day forward. When we refuse to disidentify from our own subjective perspective in order to get into somebody else's perceptual reality, we quite literally can't see what's going to work for them. We're going to say all kinds of things thinking that it's helping when in fact it is most likely doing the exact opposite. When we are unwilling to do this, we're unwilling or actually incapable of seeing the truth at hand. And this truth includes the fact that there is no such thing as self-sabotage. In the mental health field, we have this attitude like what people are doing is mostly self-sabotage. It doesn't exist. Basically, you have no grip on the positive intention behind these thoughts and behaviors that we are judging as all negative. And when we judge it in this way, there is no way to create actual resolution. To understand more about this, I want you to watch my videos titled Fragmentation the Worldwide Disease, There is No Such Thing as Self-Sabotage, and The Octopus Technique. When you get into the first-person perspective of the person that you are trying to help, it will change the strategy with which you go about trying to help that person 100%. It will change your understanding about what they actually need, about what you actually need to do, 
about what you could say to actually shift the way that they're thinking or behaving. And also, to be honest, when you get into first-person perspective, sometimes you see that instead of it being your client that needs to change the perspective you hold, it's you. But let's be honest with ourselves, shall we? What makes us so terrified about getting into first-person perspective with the person that we're trying to help is that we are absolutely terrified of losing touch with that sense of reality and that sense of truth that we have held to like a buoy in the middle of that ocean. This major shift that must take place in the mental health field is that we must be willing to disidentify from our individual and limited subjective perspectives so as to accommodate the reality of our clients or patients subjective reality we have to be able to get into first person perspective as that person in order to know what we need to do it is only by doing this that we can accommodate both their reality and our reality and it is only by accommodating both realities that we can build a bridge between a perceptual reality that would provide the healing they are wanting and the perceptual reality they are currently stuck in we need to be brave enough and be willing to feel and see and hear and understand enough to get our hands messy in other people's first-person perspectives and experiences so as to see what would actually work. We need to own our own shadow, which is the fear that we can't do this, where we disidentify from our own subjective perspective, attachment to reality, so as to get into first-person perspective with another person without becoming emotionally unstable and meshed and losing a sense of our minds and our rationality. We need to stop disguising this extreme distrust that we have in ourselves and this belief that we don't have the capacity to expand ourselves wide enough to accommodate all subjective realities as professionalism. We need to see that it is only our willingness to stretch in this way that will cause us to arrive at the actual objective reality because objective reality is the truth that arises as a result of accommodating all subjective perspectives in a given scenario. And we need to do this fast. Because we are not doing this, people are dying every day. Because we are not doing this, people are getting injured every day by the overwhelmingly prevalent pharmaceutical approach to mental health, or lack thereof. Because we're not doing this, every day we continue to be frustrated by not really understanding what it is that we can do to help someone. By not doing this, we continue to convince ourselves every day that a person is simply too mentally ill or incapable for some reason to adopt our estimation of reality. I would say that in a way, we're all in the mental health business. If, oh, I can hardly say the sentence, but if our thoughts create our reality, ah, I can't say it, it's not, I'm not going to say it, but mental health is of the utmost importance, and so the more that everyone sort of knows the kind of information in that video, the better, in my, in my opinion, and we'll be back for more later, bye.